0: Uh, you know, I'm not a fan of extrinsic motivation or coercion, and I agree with my friend Alfie Cohn about the damage of saying "nice job" to a kid, just sort of sprinkling that stuff on top of things. Or, um, and yet, it's kind of fun when someone says "nice shot" when you when I'm playing tennis. Um, I'm not a big fan of competition, um, but it's nice to win when I'm playing tennis. So I've I've wrestled with. That, that sort of confirmation and i reconcile it as no one knows better than i do whether it's been a it was a good shot or not um so it's just conf- just confirmation of something i already know i'm an adult this is voluntary it's non-coercive so i think it's it's different than having a captive audience that you're trying to manipulate into achieving some curricular goals
1: Gary Steger, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Gary's been a long-time mentor, colleague, uh, teacher of mine. Uh, Those those who know Gary know he is uh, a -a one-of-a-kind person who uh, is very bold in his beliefs and ideas around education and and has some of the most um, progressive ideas uh, that are really based in uh, a lot of historical and uh, foundational truths. Uh, but today, we're not talking about education, although you could hear from that little uh, uh, intro that he's, he's, he's always thinking about that one. Um, Gary found the game of tennis, which I just, uh, when I saw it, I found it uh, really, really intriguing that um, he, through the pandemic, uh, discovered tennis. Uh, Gary's not somebody that you think of, typically think of as uh, uh, the highly athletic Uh, At the same time, uh, I just think it's fantastic that he's done this. And uh, as I've kind of mentioned a number of times, this whole podcast is really uh, somewhat inspired by Gary and his uh, statement that uh, uh, what children need is uh, for us to be interesting adults. And uh, Gary is indeed an interesting adult. He has many other hobbies and interests besides tennis, but this was a new one. And so uh, enjoy my conversation with Gary Steger and his newfound love of the game of tennis.
0: Anytime I can do anything physical, I remember that I was the kid who had special gym in elementary school. Um, and so so learning how to ski when I was about 27, 28 was, was extraordinary. And um, what better way to celebrate the pandemic than And, you know, having all of my work disappear than to join two tennis clubs and start playing a lot of tennis. Um, The origins for it were trying to get a little healthier. I'd at various times in the last decade or so had, you know, gone to the gym and did done stuff and never managed to lose any weight. And um, I've always had bad legs and it was starting to affect my back. And I've got a fabulous orthopedic surgeon and at right around the start of the pandemic i was having some some real pain and i went to him and he said you have to get some cardio and i thought oh god i hate the dump the dump the dump of the machines and i'm um, okay i need to do something and it was a health club that we'd been members of for years um, that had 15 tennis courts but we never played tennis because why pay extra for tennis since one, I don't play tennis, and two, I was traveling a quarter of a million miles a year, kind of like a third to a half of the calendar. Um, so it wouldn't make any sense to pay the extra money to be part of the tennis um, club. And so I decided to find out how much it would cost to join to play tennis. And I, at first, I started by just taking a weekly lesson, which let me play with a pro um, during the lesson, but then wouldn't allow me to play tennis otherwise. And then I started finding out about, they you have know, Friday night drop in doubles. So I started going to that, playing with a sort of group of folks that I affectionately call the maniacs, um, and then started going to a couple other workouts and made some friends and decided to pay for the tennis. And then once I started playing a bunch of the tennis and I started getting healthier, um, seeing some progress, I decided I needed more tennis because um, the problem with tennis like much many things in life is people and um, aside from having to deal with people you have to have people to play with so the sister tennis club on the other side of town um, had a Monday night drop in doubles um, session so I joined the second tennis club so that I could play an extra night a a week there Um, and then I just then I started walking to and from the club so it's a little less than two miles each way, so I schlepped to the club and then I schlepped back after playing. So that it's increased my number of steps and the calories that I'm burning. And my my Apple Watch is like the greatest Pavlovian device ever. Um, that you know keeps me honest. My move goal keeps getting harder for some reason. I'm not quite sure about the science of that, um, but it's driving me nuts. And now I'm up to playing between you know four and six times a week.
1: And and you know I, when I think about tennis, like of all and of by the, the sports, way, I like, suck at it. Well, but the thing is, it's it's a hard game. Like t- like there are a lot of easier choices. So so you know th- that's what intrigues me too. Is like you picked a, a game that's pretty hard. Like to be good at tennis, like the, the, this is this is not something that somebody in their fifties and sixties decides like this is the, what I'm So, whoa, whoa, So whoa, whoa, this is the
0: sixties, hold it with the sixties stuff,
1: fifties and sixties. I mean, we're getting there. I know. I I think you and I are just both the same age, but mm-hmm. we're not quite there yet, but, but a people of our age, uh, this is not a sport that normally is picked up. So that's what, that's what fascinates me is like, like, and, 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 and the other thing is like, you have to be relatively, I mean, you say you suck at it, but you, you have to be, at a certain level in order to even get any value out of it you got to be able to return up you know return the ball a reasonable number of times in order to find any pleasure from this game so um like was there something previous like i just wonder like you know were you a tennis fan did you think oh, i look at you know look at and i'll, I'll age myself bjord borg and and McEnroe, and then you know as connor's and and sampras and I'm, i'll probably get up to a more current age but but was that something that that you were interested in before at that level, a tiny bit. I saw I saw Sampras. I'm not, sorry. I saw Agassi and
0: McEnroe play an exhibition once, and I went to the U.S. Open once, but um, but mostly for the spectacle. Um, two answers to your question. One is I have a high threshold for humiliation, as you well know. Um, and the the second is well the the, sec- the the second answer to your question it comes back to schooling. Um, I often say not only is it the obligation of schools to introduce children to things they don't yet know they love and that the best thing we can do for our students is to be an interesting adult, um, but a lot of my passion is, is rooted in the things that I learned how to do and learned about in a public middle school in the 1970s in Wayne, New Jersey, and learning to compose music and play jazz and program computers. And I often say I'll be damned if anyone will deprive another generation of kids of that quality of experiences. And the same is kind of true with the roots of tennis. Despite the fact that it might sound like a joke, I literally had special gym in elementary school. Before there was a term for it, which is now adaptive PE. Um, I was insanely uncoordinated. My legs don't work very well. They wouldn't lift high enough for my mother to be able to tie my shoes. Um, I'm still not very flexible. and yet. I always played everything outside with anybody who wanted to play. And in sixth grade, I had this madman of a band director who I fell in love with, and we were great friends until he passed away. Um, And for some reason, he started a USTA tennis program after school without remuneration when I was in the sixth grade, and we, you know, bounced the ball against the wall and learned to handle a racket and things. And I played a little teeny bit as a kid, but never competitively or anything. And and then didn't really play again. I think in my forties, I might've played for a couple months, like once a week as part of a parks and rec class, but I never really played again. And certainly not obsessively like I'm doing it now. Um, So yeah, I I basically started at about 57.
1: So I'm, you know, as as you would know, I mean, I've been a golfer all my life and that's been my passion outside of education. And I, I read about it. I watch it. Like I can talk to you about what it is about that game. I love. So when you, this has to be more than just, well, it's good exercise. Like, what is it about the game of tennis that brings you joy? I guess like, what is it like, what, what are the sort of like, this is the feeling that I, that I, that I long for. And this is one that's like, yeah, at its best. So, so what about, what is it about the game that really sort of, uh, moves you in some way it was
0: it was fairly simple um it got me out of the house during the pandemic it was something safe you could do um and i've lost over 40 pounds um i've i've you know dealt with my diet a little bit too and when i started this i you know i was joking say i said to my my partner sylvia that you know this is all part of my anorexia plan um, and, and frankly, I understand how quickly you could go mental in that regard as well. Um, but, uh, it was just starting to see some, started to see some, some weight loss results that, that had, had played a huge role in it. And there was a way to get out of the house. Um, I'm not, I don't, I still don't watch tennis, um, you know, there are times in the last month or so where I've thought I'm getting worse at it, but that might just be because it's getting more competitive for me and I'm playing more and I'm playing with slightly better players. Um, but I but I do view everything I do in life through kind of the prism of teaching and learning. So I have some, you know, some observations from the experience there as well. But it was really just so simple. It was just trying to get healthier. I lost a bunch of weight and all my, all my numbers got better. And so now I've kind of figured out um, I'm trapped and I got to keep doing that. Um, so when I, was, when I was in Italy for six weeks this winter and, and I couldn't manage to find a place to play tennis, which was a whole other ordeal, um, I just walked like a maniac um, to, to try to keep you know, generating that many calories burned. Um, it's mostly just been a fitness thing and just sort of disciplining myself. And I'm not a person you know, prone to a lot of discipline. Um, so it's the one thing that I can do. It's on the calendar. I know when I have to be there. I know that if I walk there, I can burn another you know, 400 calories, um, and that's kind of why I've been doing it. And, and little by little, I've started to make some friends that have sort of bled over into other parts of my life, so that's been positive as well.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting part of the game, and, and golf is like that too. Is like You meet people that like I wouldn't normally meet and have conversations that I wouldn't normally have conversations about, so that social element is... But- but I but I find thing. an awful lot
0: of it. I find a lot awful lot of it to be like middle school. Um, you know, it's hard to make friends. Um, the club is incredibly dysfunctional. Doesn't do anything to generate revenue, which you would which you would do by keeping people there and getting them to go to the bar and make friends and things like that. It doesn't do anything in, along those lines, um, which has been kind of frustrating. So it's been hard to make friends, and there are, there, are, you know, cliques and. Um, You know, I'm playing tonight with a group that we affectionately refer to as the Mean Girls, and I'll I'll spend I'll spend much of the time on the court ducking and trying to not get hit in the face with the ball, Um, in between you know listening to them rant on about you know trans kids in the bathroom or you know some some right wing nonsense. So you just sort of put that aside. So in a lot of ways, it's very much like how a lot of kids feel socially in school. Um, But I but I managed to make a few friends and. The Friday night drop-in, which is kind of the highlight of the week, two hours where people just show up and we play eight games and then switch partners and stuff and move around. Um, a, a few weeks ago, the woman who runs it was, wasn't was going to be there and said she was going to cancel. I went, oh, come on. What do you mean you're going to cancel? All we have to do is play tennis. I'm a trained professional. I'm in charge. So I, I, I shanghaied her mailing list and told everyone there would be pizza afterwards, which I paid for, and kept it going for that week. Um, and you know that, and then we gave pizza to people who didn't play but came off the courts from other matches, who so we kind of sort of knew. And breaking bread together after playing tennis was was kind of beneficial socially as well. Um, so so yeah, I mean it's got all the pluses and minuses of any kind of institution that involves other human beings. The the, the problem with tennis is you can't really do it by yourself, so you're reliant on other people to play with. So I still take a weekly lesson for an hour. And then two or three times a week, I do a what they call a workout, which is like a little mini class with a group of people, and and we you know run drills and and there's one taught by a pretty, pretty terrific teacher, the other one the teacher isn't any good at all. Um, and that way, I have multiple opportunities to play. And then socially, I've started playing one one day on weekends with some of the people that I met in the other activities.
1: You mentioned having looking at almost everything through a teaching and learning lens. So, so, so how, how might you, or how will you, or how have you begun to take these lessons that you've observed and experienced te- on the tennis court into your, into your work, into, and, in, 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 in when you're talking with groups of people about, about teaching and learning.
0: So, so there's a few things in no particular order of, um, preference. One that's amazing to me is that I've been paying this pro for about a year and a half handsomely to hit balls at me once a week for an hour. And after about, an hour, after about a year of taking lessons with him, I found out that he was a jazz pianist. Um, and as you mentioned, jazz is kind of a passion of mine. And I know a lot of the great jazz musicians of the world and we published the, the Jazz Book of the Year during the pandemic. And um, it's what I spend most of my disposable time and income on. And to find out that this guy and I shared something other than him hitting tennis balls at me was interesting. But it was also interesting that it took a year for me to know anything about the guy that I was paying to take lessons from. And the same guy, once I disabused him of the notion that I was playing tennis to head for Wimbledon, um, and that I just needed someone to hit balls at me for an hour. And occasionally I'd have questions about something I wanted to work on. Um you know things you know the lessons have been been valuable um but in the 18 months that i've been taking lessons from him when he wanders past the court where i'm playing socially he's never once stopped for a second to watch me play tennis and and i think that's a really interesting tell for a teacher um that, that there's so little interest in seeing the actual execution. Or I won't say he's not interested in my life because we've gone to a concert together and stuff. Um, so there's a little bit of that. But the, but the interesting, but interest in seeing how well what he's teaching is being applied in the field is kind of interesting to me. That he's never been curious or had a minute to like check that out. Um, the, the other thing I've, I've seen just absolutely terrible instruction the people who have an agenda who um, don't recognize that that students have different motivations for being there, different skill levels, different ages, they kind of mumble terms that you're supposed to have, um, you're supposed to have knowledge of or pre-existing knowledge of before you you join the class and never actually manage to tell you what it means, either by example or or in or in words. Um, it's kind of extraordinary. And then on the other hand, there's a woman who taught a lot of little kids to play and taught a lot of preschool who runs the the workout twice a week that I absolutely adore, where she makes sure that the 80-year-old can participate and you know, the the recent college athlete participates and the people like me who are in between and and it's fun and it's social and she asks about us and we talk, you know, find out about her life and um and keeps it moving and makes sure that everyone can participate and then it's fair for everyone and makes modifications if someone can't take a lob or can't look up or can't run. Um, and it reminds me of an experience that I had with my, my great mentor and colleague and friend, Seymour Papper when we were working together, creating a um, high-tech constructionist project-based alternative multi-age um, learning environment out of prison for teenagers. I fought like hell to make sure that in order to maintain cohesion and community in the classroom, that we would do everything together, including PE. And I remember once taking the whole group of kids who were like 13 to 21 years old and there were boys and girls and um, different levels of athletic ability to the gym. And we played wiffle ball or basketball or something for an hour. And I can't remember which, but I made sure it was fair for everyone to participate. Everyone, you know, got, got their heart rate up and got a little bit of exercise and had a good time and um, and it was a constructive use of the the hour and on the way back to the classroom Seymour Papert turned to me and asked how do you know how to do that and you know the way I know how to do that is I worked at a summer camp for a number of years but I, you know I'm also a, a trained preschool grade, grade teacher but um, not everyone has those abilities um, the other thing I've I've thought a lot about is uh, you know I'm not a fan of extrinsic motivation or coercion and I agree with my friend Alfie Cohen about the damage of saying nice job to a kid just sort of sprinkling that stuff on top of things or um, and yet it's kind of fun when someone says nice shot when you when I'm playing tennis um, I'm not a big fan of competition um, but it's nice to win when I'm playing tennis so I've, I've wrestled with that sort of confirmation and I reconcile it as no one knows better than I do, whether it's been a, it was a good shot or not. Um, so it's just conf- just confirmation of something I already know. I'm an adult. This is voluntary. It's non-coercive. So I think it's, it's different than having a captive audience that you're trying to manipulate into achieving some curricular goal, but, but even, you know, the Apple watch and it's sort of, you know, taunting me into getting off my, my, butt and doing something, um, not wanting to disappoint it. I find myself actually talking in that, in those terms of I don't want to disappoint the watch. So I, there are times where I've come home at 1130 at night and gone for a walk through my neighborhood to get some more steps in so that that closed the ring. So that the watch isn't upset with me. Um, and one day something went haywire with the battery and I lost like 200 straight days of meeting my, my move goal. And it was infuriating. Um, so, so the, there were those kinds of lessons. And then there's also, this is kind of more esoteric. Um, a lot of times during my lesson lesson, where it's one-on-one, um, I've had to say to the teacher, well, that's theoretical tennis. Because the maniacs I play on Friday night don't hit the ball there. They hit the ball there. And, and so he's always teaching me what would be better in the long run to develop good habits because, of course, I'm heading to Wimbledon. um, When, if I actually did that, my partner would be furious with me because I'd be missing an easy shot and we would never win um, because the the maniacs that I play with don't play by the theoretical rules. So it's kind of interesting to sort of thinking about the sort of theoretical instruction versus practical instruction. And I'm kind of strong-willed enough at this point to, be able to dismiss the part that, that I know isn't viable at the very moment and take it with a grain of salt and, and ask a specific question that can help me get to the next, next step that I think I need to get to, but maybe I'm wrong. He could be completely right, but. Well, no, mind, I, I that's,
1: that's really, I, I relate to a couple of those, like the one with, <laughs> with the, the Apple watch. So uh, the one night, uh, and this was with my Fitbit. Now I'm, I've graduated to the Apple Watch. But I was looking at my, I, and I had, they, you know, because there used to be like, oh, you can join the weekly whatever competition. And I didn't really, yeah, sure I will. I didn't even want it. Well, all of a sudden, I get notification that Bill S has now passed me. So I'm standing up, running on the spot. My wife says, what are you doing? I said, well, Bill S has passed me. She says, who's Bill S? I said, I don't know, but I don't <laughs> want him to win. <laughs> and it was at that moment that because i'm like you i thought like i preach about intrinsic motivation and i preach about it so how do i how do i sort of uh, wrap my head around the fact that i mean at least i'm aware enough to know the the ridiculousness and the absurdity around it and 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 allowing myself to okay i get it's really this is really stupid but if it's going to get me to the next level i mean i don't know if it's sustainable i think at the end of the day i don't know. If, that, I mean maybe for some people that does it but that's that's the one thing and then the other thing you talked about is like which I hadn't really thought about is like um, so the, the 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 story I would relate to in golf is if you're in a sand trap beside a green there's a proper way to hit that shot and it's it's and they say well it's easy you hit behind the ball and the sand takes the ball out and it's this really elegant swing. Well I got a buddy who takes his putter and he puts it out of the sand and it looks really. It looks really amateurish but he it's effective and he and he just says like this is like i'm never going to hit that shot the way i'm supposed to hit it but my objective is to get the ball on the green and this does it and i know it looks ugly and i wouldn't but you know he's my age and it's like that's effective and it's like you know what you're this is your game you have fun with whatever is gonna man it's the same way when we play golf if somebody wants to hit a mulligan or an extra shot do what you need to do to enjoy yourself out here. And, and, and yet there's other guys that just about lose their mind. If you are, you know, if somebody just sort of violates the code or whatever, maybe even though no one's playing for money or nothing else is going on. So I, it does speak to me about like, you, you decide what your goals are in this game. And then your teacher is supposed to figure out how to help you get to those goals.
0: There's, there's, there's some drills we do in the, the workouts where, you know, there's, there's usually, you know, four people on the court, but there's sometimes five, six to 10 people at the workout. So um, when someone misses a shot, or blows a shot, someone else comes in. So you're constantly sort of going in and going out and you're actually changing sides, right. But the whole time the teacher's keeping score. To, um, in order to decide how long the game goes, essentially, and because she gives different points for a overhead smash versus a volley, versus doesn't matter. There are people our age, even older, who litigate the points. <laughs> and I'm like, there's not even teams. There's what? What is wrong with you? It's, it's a mental illness. <laughs> No, it's, it's unbelievable to me you were uh, you were on the you know you were on the left side a minute ago now you're on the right side and you're bitching about the score it's just so crazy <laughs> but it happens almost every week it's very
1: amusing it's like and, and middle one the, school doesn't doesn't leave us
0: <laughs> right and one of the re- you know one of the reasons why i call the people on friday night maniacs is you know there are some people who show up who want to who want to just murder you and there's others You know, the the, the real menches, the really great upstanding citizens, as far as I'm concerned, are the other people who show up who are a much better tennis player than me, but are welcoming me when I'm their partner. And don't try to hit me in the crotch when they have an overhead, you know, shot to hit, Um, you know, but there's there is, you know, but then there are these other people who have, you know, a 90 mile per hour serve that works one out of every hundred times but they do it a hundred times anyway. <laughs> um, and it just, it just gets boring and, and tedious and tiresome. You know, and the other thing, the other thing that, that relates to teaching learning more on the schooling side is what I said a moment ago, which is the, the kind of dysfunction of the institution that one would think that if your mission was to get people to come play tennis, have fun, spend money in a bar, tell their friends to join and keep paying, Every you would send emails and you would organize events that would encourage them to do those things. And it, it's extraordinary to me how incompetent the bureaucracy is in that regard. And it's, you know, you could come up with a million parallels for, for that in school, the easy stuff, the like how you keep people involved and motivated and proud to be some, part of something larger than themselves. And, you know, I, I've become, I'm kind of the big mouth on it a little bit, but I, I'm I'm eventually going to become the spokesperson for kind of leading an uprising to to just make it more fun and to make it more social because it's just, you know, like it's money on the table, which isn't necessarily the goal in school, but there's plenty of sort of parallels to how much easier it would be to have kids love the place, how much easier it would be for parents to support it, how much easier it would be to get the community involved, how much easier it would be to have the facilities utilized more often. Um, you know, to be to better integrated into the community. And, and so I think about that a lot as well.
1: Well, and tennis and golf are of the same sort of, you know, historical, uh, sports that have been expensive to play and, 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 uh, you know, sort of exclusive in some ways and they're and, uh, I can't speak as much about tennis, but golf, it's, a, it's struggling to maintain young people to play the game because it's too, takes too long. It's too hard and it's too expensive. Right and it's so you look at other sports that are gaining traction and whether that's you know skateboarding and other things that that have community sort of that it just sort of happens there and and there's a lot of freedom there's so much to learn from that and and i think you're right the parallels to education like like
0: well, well i'll give you i'll give it. you one more we'll give you one more example i mean this, this this club i belong to it is lovely and has pool and a workout room and and tennis courts but it's not very expensive i i, I i'm spending I'm spending my retirement to be able to play tennis during the pandemic, but it's, but, it, but it's not that expensive, but I point taken on it. It is, it does cost and it's not, it's not cheap. Um, but there, but one great example of it that I think we could also find parallel for schooling of is it's kind of optics. And last year going into the summer, you know, they run camps at the, at the, at the tennis club. So there was a box in a prominent location right outside when you walk through the lobby of the place that said, please donate your old rackets for kids in, at camp. And the first thing I thought to myself was, yeah, I've got a couple of rackets in the garage, but the technology has gotten so much better. They, these are adult rackets that weigh like 50 tons. And are, we, do we really want like seven and eight year olds using them. Um, The second thought I had was, this is just the cost of doing business. You're a camp that sells tennis. You either figure out how to spend 10 bucks a kid to buy tennis rackets, which wouldn't even be 10 bucks a kid because they could share them. But, you know, it'd be pennies a kid when you amortize them across all the kids, just like, you know, anything else. Um, Or you tell the parents to bring their kids a racket and you specify the kind they need. you know, you charge them an extra 10 bucks for the racket. And then the third thing I thought was, this is just a bad look. This is a country club, essentially, that has a box that says, donate your old crap to rich kids. <laughs> um, you know, this wasn't, we're, we're turning, we're turning, you know, rackets into, you know, a food source for people in the developing world. It's, I mean, this is like, you know, giving rackets, to, giving bad rackets to rich kids. And, uh, you know, and I was, you know, if I, it's the kind of stuff I see in schools, I'm sure you do on a regular basis, where I don't hesitate to go up to the, the, the principal and say that has to go now. That, you know, have you, has anyone given this a second thought, you know, when you walk into the school of the future, this spectacular piece of architecture, and you open the front door to the place and you see truant officer, you know, painted on the door you know is that really the model of the school of the future you want you want people to see from the street you know it's like i see that stuff and i i take note of it and when i'm working in schools i go hey knucklehead what you you know come on (laughs) you know or for god's sakes here's 20 bucks go buy two rackets
1: um you know it so that that kind of amuses me as well well this has been this has been great just to hear your story and and i love i love uh I know that if you're getting into something, you're going to have all kinds of perspectives that perhaps not everybody has. But I think as you share them, I I certainly can relate to them. Okay, can I share
0: one more? One yeah, more one more. To, I mean, one we're more. talking about music and stuff. Um, so so jazz is my thing, but I always feel like I should be have even more culture. Um, so you know, at times I've had a subscription to the Los Angeles Philharmonic, and Gustavo Dudamel is the wunderkind, fantastic thirty something year old conductor who they. Hired at 25 from the Venezuelan Youth Orchestra Program, he came through the LC STEMO, which was the national model of youth orchestras in, in, in Venezuela, where they, they said, if you give a child a violin, she'll never pick up a gun. And it's a way of creating community and social cohesion and being part of something bigger than yourself. And for the first moment, you can play a note. You're part of an, in, an orchestra. Even if it's only playing one note in 15 minutes, um, you're playing Mahler and you're part of something bigger than yourself. And Dudamel's brought a great life and both vitality to um, the Los Angeles Philharmonic. And I went to a concert Thursday night. He's doing three three Stravinsky programs. And I went to a concert last Thursday night, brought a new friend from tennis, because part of my ministry is always introducing people to culture and to experiences they wouldn't have had otherwise. And I went because they're playing Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. But, but the other thing that was stunning was, um, they played a world premiere composition by a 30-year-old Argentinian composer where after the piece, Dudamel pointed to him in the audience and waved him up on stage to come and take his bows and, and hug him and embrace him for his music being performed for the first time from an audience. And then they played um, a, a 20th century piece by another Argentinian composer. And I'm going to see Stravinsky's Petrushka Thursday night and The Firebird Saturday night and in each case, there's a brand new piece composed by a young Latin American composer and a, another piece by a Latin American composer. And I think in a time of DEI and CRT and hysteria about books and history and culture, um, there's an awful lot to learn about curriculum design and teaching from this sort of tacit example that that this great maestro is, is sharing with with a community. Cause like you said, golf has a specific audience. Tennis is a specific audience traditionally. So does the symphony. And um, may having the audience come see something that they know and love, but making sure they have to sit through something new by someone young and, and recognizing that we live in a multicultural world, particularly Los Angeles, which is part of Latin America. And that there's a culture of Latin American music that should be honored, along with the European greats. I think is extraordinary, and it's not heavy-handed. He's leading by example, he's teaching by example, and by creating a new experience for people. and And I think that, like I said, there's an awful lot for educators to learn from that as well. Uh, Do true. don't awesome. talk.
1: Absolutely, less well, awesome more them. I heard somebody say that one yep. time too. Um, hey Gary thanks for this uh, Thanks mate this uh, is fascinating like, I will be I'm going to keep watching your progress thank you for sharing it and uh, I look forward to We'll the- play somewhere I- down the line yeah, I mean, I would be terrible because I haven't played it for years. But uh, if uh, if you're okay playing, we just it's terrible, got a top golf near
0: us, which I have no idea what it is, but it's enormous it and it's packed all the time.
1: Yeah, it's easy. It's it's like you're eating pizza and drinking beer and just hitting balls and whatever you do, you do. So, like, that's an example of like making a little bit more accessible. It's not that cheap, but it is more accessible. Uh, way of getting introducing but right. hey, anyways thank and good luck you're thanks, looking mate. great I will admit it man you're you you, you look uh, you probably had to spend a bunch of money on new clothes now so oh
0: don't even ask <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
1: absolutely so thanks, man. Uh, hopefully one of these days we'll 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 line up at a con at a conference somewhere and we'll talk some more look forward to it thanks baby all right you. we'll see ya